So we're here today with uh, Greg Johnson from Tivoli. We're going to give Greg a chance to talk about what Tivoli does and how he got here. Greg? <laughs> Thanks. That's a pretty loaded question. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, how I got that was, here. That was intentional. Yeah. I mean, how I got here, like, we could take an hour, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a, been a been Well, that's a actually a good road. question. How did you get it? Did you take the Bonanza or did you? I did. I flew down to Bonanza. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I like to practice the more we preach part of it. Yeah, well, it's 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 fun, and actually, on the way back, I'm 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 flying one of our customers home to uh, North Carolina. That's awesome. I I was threatening these guys last night with uh, starting to fly again. Well, you know, I think I was actually thinking about you know how what is that um, coffee and cars with you know the cars and coffee yeah cars and coffee thing right? I was like I could do that in the airplane right? Throw a couple of GoPros up there and fly someplace and interview folks. I mean, we should take it. we should take this thing we'll, and do. We'll, we'll grab Chris. Grab Chris. He'll help us with that, right? The stuff's compact. That's it. It'd be fun. So, I mean, really, it's you have a pretty good history. You may have you may have started something that became pretty big. Well, I, yeah. I mean, there was a, a day there where I created this company called One Sky. <laughs> it was One Sky Jets at the time. We the, the jets got dropped later on, but yeah. And then before that, there was a little run at FedEx where I, you know, did some process improvement, fun stuff. And before that, I I flew really briefly for money and decided that I liked, you know, flying where I want to go, when I want to go better. And I'm a little too entrepreneurial. I don't want to say that. Like, I love flying and I look and anybody that's, you know, flying aircraft, I think that's awesome. But for me, um, I always wound up sort of in leadership one way or another. Right. Um, and waiting at FBOs for other folks was hard for me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I totally agree with that. When I, 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 Wanted to fly since I was that big. And when yeah. I got my first job and I was doing my flight training, I could point to the exact moment in time where I was like, man, that job kind of sucks. Well, it's hard. I mean, it, like, I have so much respect for the charter guys that are doing that stuff because, you know, I watched more movies and read more books and FBOs waiting on people, <laughs> you know, when I did that for a brief period of time. And I was like, this is, you know, it's, 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 it's a challenge to I me mean, when you, you know, especially when schedules change and all that kind of stuff. Right, you're sitting there hoping to be home with the family, knowing that the principles that you're flying, because I did a part 91, I knew that somebody was trying to get home for a soccer game, and I know the soccer game was starting at six, and now it's six o'clock, and they're still not there, and I'm going, are we staying overnight? Are we? <laughs> are they showing up in 10 minutes? Do I get another bag of peanuts out of the machine? Do I order a pizza? <laughs> What's happening here? Yeah, and a, you don't that know. That was exactly, it was the lifestyle part <laughs> of it. That was the part I was like, ah, it's not that interesting. Well, it's hard. It's, it's, it's not an easy deal. Like the flying of the plane is amazing, right? But, but all the, the logistics around it for you know, your personal life and Passengers. how you plan for it is really hard, right? Because you're at the, <clears throat> the service exists because it's flexible. So you're, you know, no matter what you do, you're signing up for that. And that's, I mean, so, you know, in things that we do since then, you know, I have a lot of respect for the people that are doing that. Anything we can do to make their jobs easier right, is a huge win. And, and I think there's a lot of opportunity with tech today to make that flight crew member's job less stressful, right? Yes. Because let's face it, every time you land at an FBO, uh, you know, with your aircraft, you've got a laundry list of things you're thinking need to go right in order to deliver that experience to the customer, right, when, they, when you depart. So when you land, it's like your mind shifts from, okay, passengers just departed to now what are the you know, 20 things that could go wrong that could impact my departure. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's some of the stuff we're working to try and address here on our side with the, with the, with the FBO software 
is trying to feed back more information to the crews, service confirmation type stuff. Your fueling yep. is done. Yep. Actually, you had a funny story not too long ago <laughs> where... Uh, I did. I mean, I, I, I fly around a lot in the Bonanza, and that gives me, you know, first-person perspective to how the whole ecosystem works. And I had a, you know, um, overnight stop, did what you would do, and asked to have the plane topped off before you leave the next morning. And, you know, this is not the only time this has happened, but, you know, as soon as you place that fuel order... I think in any pilot's mind, it's like, well, is that really going to be handled? I mean, some guys will say, hey, I'm not going to leave for the hotel until I make sure the fueling's happen because I just, I need to sleep tonight. Well, yep. I didn't have time for that. I had to rush to my meeting, put in the fuel order in a way that I thought was really credible. Like I thought, I, I really felt good about it. Like there are some FBOs where it's almost like it's like a scrap piece of paper or something yeah. and you just go, I don't know, I better call. Um, in this case, I felt pretty good. And then we showed up the next morning early and, you know, plane wasn't fueled. And, you know, it... Thankfully, I had enough buffer time in my day. They, like, not only that, the actual the HBO staff wasn't there, so that was a little bit challenging. <laughs> you know, showed up, mad scramble. You know, I was going, do I have to go to the other FBO on the field in order to get fueled because there's nobody here, and I have a meeting to get to, and I need gas. I can't make it without gas. And I was literally about to fire up the plane and go to the other FBO when some, when the guy showed up, and then I was like, hey, I like you guys. He was didn't, just late. He was just he was late. Yeah, no real good excuse for it. And uh, but he. You know, then he had to QC the truck and bring it over and whatever. And it, I mean, thankfully, like I said, I, I had put enough buffer into my schedule that it didn't really kill me that day. But it could have. Like if I was on a tighter timeline, that would have been brutal. And that's not the only time that kind of thing happens. It's very hard today in FBOs, you know, with a lot of the sort of the legacy systems that are in place to actually track who has done what, when, where, right? And, and, and that service delivery. So when I've seen what you guys have built, it's next level in terms of helping an FBO deliver on the service expectation. Yeah, that, and that really, that's it. It's helping the FBO deliver. That's what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. It, it's so funny. It's such little things. I mean, I can order something on Uber Eats and I get the notification the driver left, the driver's on his way. Right. And we're just getting to the point now where we can tell you that your fueling is done. Right. <coughs> no, it's it, true. Industry's a little behind. It is, but it, do, it does come down, you know, when you think about it, I, like I said, in my career, I did a ton of process improvement. You know, I was in an, indu- an industrial engineer, ran a team of industrial engineers at FedEx. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. I always kind of gloss over the FedEx thing, which is a little foundational to the... A <clears throat> little bit. I mean, it, you know, <laughs> I, I think um, the amount of learning about quality that you get when you're helping, like, manage the system and, the, and you know, service delivery and everything at sort of a higher level inside an organization like FedEx was unbelievable. You know, when you think about back in the, you know, in the 90s, I mean, I could at home log into my computer, it was dial-up, right? And I could, and I could see, <clears throat> you know, like, like so much information on any package in the FedEx system. I could see every, every, any employee when they clocked in and clocked out, I could put all the data together, you know, and, and be able to deconstruct where service was succeeding and failing across the system because it was all tracked like there were fingerprints on everything right every package got scanned over and over and over again and when you imagine that back in the 90s you could call fedex like their customer service line and go where's my package and they'd say three blocks away back then right no no internet yep they hadn't invented the internet yet fedex built its own sort of virtual internet with packet radio and 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 things like that so it's incredible so when you like have seen that level of 
sort of accountability, really, right? Because that was it. I mean, and Fred Smith used to say, the information about the package is as important as the package, right? Because if the package isn't where it's supposed to be, and we can tell them where it is and what it's going to take to get it there, right? Then, then we win, right? If we're like, well, I don't know, and that was everybody else, then that's inferior. And that was how FedEx got the price premium, right? He said, if we're going to convince people that they need to get something overnight, we better damn deliver it overnight, <laughs> right? By 10 a.m., yeah. Right. It wasn't just by overnight. It was overnight by 10 a.m. And if it was 10:15 and the package wasn't there, we knew where it was. You know. And then I can tell you all kinds of stories about all the different ways that that promise can go wrong. Right. I mean, everything that you can imagine. You know, that could happen. So, how did that education translate into the aviation world when you? So you. you let's go back earlier. Before mm. that, you did a stint at an FBO, right? Was that earlier? Very, that was earlier, yeah. That was sort of in, while I was uh, going to college, you know, my first real aviation job was at an FBO. I mean, I started out, they didn't even have a proper line service job, but there was a, you know, to speak to the value of like Embry-Riddle, I went to all the FBOs on the field closest to my house and said, I'm, you know, Embry-Riddle student, I'm here for the summer looking for a job in aviation. And this guy that was responsible for line services, the one FBO said, we don't really have a job, but I'll make one because, you know, Sounds I like cool. Embry-Riddle and I like Embry-Riddle. I want to give you a, an opportunity, right? That job was cleaning airliners at night. So, <clears throat> but it got me a badge <laughs> and it got me on an airplane. Uh, but literally I started out, um, I think it was, I forget how many nights a week, but it was maybe a, maybe five nights a week or something. I was with, with two other guys. I, was, I got paid 25 bucks to clean a U.S. Air MD-80s. I think we cleaned two of them a night, right, and up in Portland, Maine. And, uh, you know, my first GSE experience was a lav car because <laughs> it, our job was interior. We had to dump the labs and we had to clean the planes. And so I sort of say, look, if, 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 if there was anybody that could say I started at the ground level, that's it. I, I don't think it gets much more entry level. Yeah, like, all the new line guys, that's their job is the lav. Yeah, you got to. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, the truck was named Blue Thunder. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, then that worked its way into, you know, pumping gas on the weekends. And then, you know, I think the next summer I ended up being a supervisor um, there. They did both airline and, and general aviation stuff. Um, and then I heard through the grapevine that that FBO was going to um, open a new location. And a switch went off in my head and I said, I want to run that. Right. Sophomore year, summer school. And I so... I went to the general manager of the, of the prime location and said, I, I want, you know, you're going to need somebody to run that new FBO. I don't run that FBO. And, uh, and he said, well, the owner's going to want a business plan. And I'm like, well, how do I do that? And he actually, the, the, the GM, to his credit, gave me a book and said, here's a book on how you should do it. I found the, the business plan not too long ago. It was printed out on like dot matrix printer paper. You know, I had to like peel off the little uh, ears on the side of yeah. it. That, that just dates this whole thing. And I presented that to the owner. Um, I had gone and gotten all my pilot's licenses at flight safety in the sort of um, earlier on. So I didn't do all my flying in every riddle. But I, so I had my CFI at this point. Um, the owner's reading through the plane and he goes, I wasn't planning to have a flight school. And I was like, well, I just got all my licenses. It'd be really cool if we had a flight school. And he, the guy shrugs his shoulders and says, all right, we'll buy a couple planes. And that was the beginning of my sort of flying career. <clears throat> well, I guess that was, yeah, after my first... Uh, paid gig flight instructing was the flight school that I, I started as a part of that, <laughs> which was no kind question. of question. 
Huh? With a question. That you started with a question. With a question, right. Which was, well, I just, I'd like to, I'd like to have that. So we had a few, we had three airplanes at the, at the flight school there, and that was fun. But um, within 18 months, this was an, a, an airport where they had only had one FBO, you know, came in and the facility was fantastic. It was former corporate flight department. And um, within 18 months, we had 80% of the business on the field and the other guys were just, you know, they were ready to sell out. So when I saw that that was happening, I went back to Riverdale and finished my degree. But, you know, that was, I mean, this was back in the days where I, we had to win every plane with binoculars and like, you know, trying to figure out, okay, where did that plane come? I mean, there was no flight tracking or any of that. It was like, okay, I was looking up in the FBO, uh, sorry, the MBAA directory. Can I figure out where that, if it wasn't that, I, like I'd be, I was buddies with the guys in the tower and I'd be like, where did that plane come from? Where do I have, yeah. you know, move, you know. My first FBO we worked at was Priest out in Chicago. We had a program they called Rabbit Ears. Okay. So the line guys, whatever line guys got the most tail numbers coming to the airport, that you know, you'd win a prize every week. Yeah. Just to collect it, to give it to the, Yep. The staff to track the tail numbers down and reach out to them. Yep. Well, it got to be the point, right? I mean, I'm sure you've done this too when you've in, in your role where I like plane would land and if, you know, and I'd look at that tail number and I knew who it was because, you know, if you get to know your airport and who's uh -huh. coming from yep. where, right? And I'd pick up the phone and I'd call that, you know, if they didn't taxi into me, they'd pick up the phone and call that flight department and, and, and they'd get to the point where they were like, we knew you were going to call. We actually had a bet going on <laughs> how many minutes it was going to be from when we had wheels down. And I'm like, <clears throat> let me go pick up your crew. Let them bring them over here. Show, you know, I was like, I'm not going to give up, you know, and that's how we want them, right? It was like, just try me. That's right. Yep. Just come once. <laughs> yep. And win them with the service. So yep. all that experience, you got, you got the process experience, you get Emeryville student, you get the process experience at FedEx, yep. some real world experience on the ramp, flight yep. schools. Yep. How did that become one sky? Well, you know, there was a day at, FedEx, where, you know, I, I was really good at the sort of breaking the ceiling and I'm, I'm just, you know, I would call it, I was an entrepreneur where I just was unconventional in the way that I did things at FedEx. So I was um, creating cool solutions. I brought computer programmers onto what was typically an industrial engineering team because I felt like, you know, it was, it was if we got the right information to the right people at the right time, that, that, that was how we improved performance. It wasn't just like telling somebody to work faster. It was, they needed the data and we had the data. And so I, I you know, that, that sounds very familiar. Yeah. <laughs> but you look at it and go like, I can get it. You know, what, what would happen is I'd say because of that, you know, I've got like God level access to all the FedEx stuff. Like I could go pull it, but I was like, we need to do it on a systematic basis and give it to the frontline manager so that they can, you know, both service and, and productivity were going to be dependent on them having the right information to make the right decisions. Yep. Right. There, so, yep. So I brought programmers on that could mine that data and turn it into reports that these guys could use to, to deliver better results. And, you know, I got to a point where I had risen as far as I could within a company that big without having to sort of wait in line. Like I, 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 I essentially, it was like move to Memphis and, uh, and wait your turn and you're going to go far. And so I, I love the you're going to go far part. The move to Memphis and wait in line <laughs> thing was, wasn't so fun. So I started looking for other opportunities. And ironically, the guy that um, I did that FBO with had just bought a charter company. And so he said, I will make you partner in my charter business if you want to come get involved in this. Right? And I was like, well, I, I didn't want to work for any of the other airlines because I just kept seeing them go bankrupt every few years. And there was another big public company. And I felt like I'd done my big public company stint. 
Um, so that sounded intriguing. You know, private aviation sounded different. And I got in there and within six months of sort of, you know, running this business, I realized how hard it was to scale, right? Because I was spending all my time talking to the owners of the planes who, you know, this is their most expensive asset. They've entrusted us with it. They want to know what's going on all the time. And in parallel to that, with all the sort of my sort of tech, I've always had one foot in tech and one foot in aviation. I rebuilt the company's website and this is like 2003. And I did lead gen on the website, which was like most websites at the time were nothing but a, a page. Yeah, it was, in, it was a brochure, right? Yep, but I actually yep. had baked in the ability to, to sort of get a quote or a request, um, you know, a quote on the website. And we started to get great charter leads from places that we didn't have any airplanes. I mean, we're a Northeast-based charter operator, nine-jet fleet, uh, you know, Gulfstreams and lower, um, but small, in my opinion. And then, you know, I looked at these leads and I was like, I, you know, I think there's a bigger opportunity to aggregate supply and demand in the space. More interesting to me than trying to scale this business where everybody wants to talk to a principal and how do you have, you can't have enough principals. I mean, it's interesting to see how that's changed a bit because there are larger operators now and that's getting sort of, you know, um, that's changing a bit from where it was. But back in the day, that was, you know, very hard to scale. So at any rate, long story short, I went to my partner there and said, I don't think I can really do enough with this charter company. There's, it's just structural limitations. However, I think there's bigger opportunity to aggregate supply and demand in the industry, and that was the genesis for One Sky Jets. So we became very good at digital lead generation online and then directing them to the best operators. And we were very process-driven in our approach, and that came, a lot of that came from FedEx. Right. I mean, we prided ourselves on service delivery. And I used to tell my people there, you know, if we're going to be a charter broker, which we are, we're a charter broker that understands the industry that is passionate about planes. We're not from Wall Street or whatever, right? We actually care about like the, the people we're doing business with, which is not universal. Uh, yeah, I right? mean, that's FBO people, right. FBO software by FBO people. It's right. It makes all the difference in the world knowing that's it's not just a program. That's right. It's a solution. That's right. So at any rate, I would tell our folks that if all we're doing is matchmaking and we're taking a customer that we get through our lead gen and we're introducing them to a charter operator and we're not doing any better than what that charter operator can do on their own, we really don't have a business, right? We can't make any money there. So what... What we actually did, and it feeds into what we're still talking about, you and I are talking about today, was we said, look at all the places where this could fall apart. And I looked at it with all the experience I had with tracking all the data at FedEx, we actually had the equivalent of package tracking for every trip inside the platform that we built to manage the OneSky business. Because every single customer interaction was logged by who did it, right? What was the conversation about? What were the, you know, what are all the attributes? And so we had this running log on every single a piece of flight activity, right, that informed us. And so if, any, if somebody called up, right, through our company and, and, and wanted to know something about a trip, well, we would go right to that trip and that person, whoever it was in the company, right, could log in, look at that trip and tell the customer what they needed to know. Have and, the information. And have at the their fingertips. At their fingertips right there. Now, a lot of the way that we had good quality information is still a problem today. Like you would think that in 2022, right, when we were checking on a catering order, or wanting to know if the aircraft was good to go, at, you know, ready to go at, at the airport location or all the services have been delivered or all of that, right? That we would 
have a way to do that digitally, even back in the late 2000s. But here we are in 2022, and everybody's still doing it with phone calls, right? But, you know, we <laughs> made a lot of phone calls. We recorded all the phone calls. We, I was big on sort of data collection, so we could really know if there was ever a service failure. There's one thing that FedEx taught me. If there was ever a service failure, you need to have the data to know what went wrong. And then from there, you can, you know, understand root cause and figure out how to fix it and make sure it doesn't happen again. And that was how we differentiated one sky and we did really well. I, I remember knowing that we had figured it out when I was talking to one of our customers and they said, I'm not sure what you do over there, right? But when we fly with one sky, it just works. Like we don't have problems. That's why we fly with you guys, right? It wasn't that, you know, it wasn't that we put Cristal on the plane. It was that you got what you paid for and, and you just, you know, we, and if there was an issue, we were on top of it. We knew what to do. We, you know, we had our game together. We could recover mechanical faster. We could, you know, we just knew what to do, you know? And so, you know, if we fast forward, you know, uh, one way to look at it is on the, you know, on the customer relationship management side of this business, the software that a charter operator or a charter broker has that really helps them deliver a better quality product doesn't really exist. It's all very transactional, right? It's, it's we can, you know, help you find a plane. We can do the basics of sort of logging what FBO you're going to use or this or that or the other. But the, the customer interaction and, the, and, and how you manage your sales team and make sure that they are on top of it, like so, software sorry. for that doesn't really... I got a question. Yeah. What do you say to the brokers that are that that then think technology gets in the way of them providing personal service? I've um, heard that. Well, technology doesn't get in the way. Technology should augment, right? I don't. I, I believe full on that it's a relationship business, right? But when if if we just listen to what I was saying about how we did things, you know, with one sky to deliver service, it was data that allowed our people to be smarter and deliver a better product when they were talking to the customer, right? And so, I, you know, in this world, charter customers come to charter brokers for advice because, you know, booking a good quality private jet is complicated, right? And it's very hard to just serve up a, you know, a price online and, and have someone feel comfortable as a new, as, as a new customer that they're gonna get everything they need if they don't talk to somebody that can really walk through and explain the nuances, right? There are a lot of nuances. You know, just think about catering on a private jet flight, right? The, the plane is important, but boy, if the food is horrible, then the plane doesn't matter, right? I mean, you're, you know, and there's so many little... So weird how important the catering is. It the is. The $50 ham sandwich is critical. Yeah, when I was in my FBO days, like how, how we would deliver good food, you know, because we owned it at the FBO level. If we're going to recommend a caterer, you know, and there was all the silly stuff, like, are they putting the food in the right size container so that it actually, you know, you can't do a cheese platter like this uh -huh, and put yep, it on yep, a plane, yep. right? It's a lot of logistics. <laughs> it's the little stuff. So my, um, I mean, my, getting back to your question about the, the, the brokers, it's great technology combined with a, an understanding that, that relationships matter is how you deliver the best experience anywhere today, right? So it's, it's the augmentation. It's being able to know everything you need to know in order to answer all the questions that customer's gonna have, including, well, where's my plane? Where's my food? <laughs> Where's my black car? Which we're finally getting to. Yeah. But they, you know, so it's, it's, it's a combination, right? Good technology delivers, helps a broker that has good relationships deliver consistent quality to their 
end user. So you went from one sky, which mm-hmm. was acquired by Sentient. Sentient. Yeah. And when was that? 2010. 2010. Yeah, it's crazy to think that was over a decade ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is weird. So that continued to roll up over time, right? Yes. That I mean that that brand existed within you know that the family there, the directional yeah. family, and yeah. I mean, ultimately, right. I mean, it's, you know, we're dialing back to when it was really flight options and Sension and One Sky was a brand in there. Um, and then the, the, you know, directional ultimately decided to use One Sky internally. Um, part of that was, you know, they had flight, it really started to happen after FlexJet and flight options came together because they'd, they wanted to operate FlexJet and flight options from an internal perspective as one company. Right, and so to sort of bridge that gap, they had a brand called One Sky, <laughs> and it just kind of makes sense. sense, right? So that you know, that the, that's where they chose to repurpose the One Sky brand to to kind of as an internal brand, talking about that, and then ultimately the, all of the companies that fly people within Directional ultimately wound up under that One Sky umbrella, shared services. And all that work led up to Tivoli. Um, one way or another, yes. I mean, I I ended up going off and doing a Silicon Valley. Uh, startup in the middle there. I, 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 you know, at one point I questioned myself and said, am I really doing the right thing? You know, I, I'm good with technology and process improvement and all of that. There's this crazy stuff happening out of, over on the West Coast with all these tech startups and whatnot. You know, maybe I, you know, aviation should be a hobby and not my <laughs> career, right? I think probably everybody in aviation is asked at one that. point in time. At one yes. point or another, right? Am I, <laughs> sh- should I be doing this as my day job or as my weekend passion? Right. And yet, everybody comes back. That's right. So, right. Long story short, I mean, I, I, I did this company that was car sharing at airports back when the sharing economy was really hot. You know, it was a really fun experience to kind of get involved in that whole ecosystem. I commuted back and forth from the East Coast to San Francisco, which got old after a while. You know, I got that company through a uh, a Series B and got it up and running. I was the, sort of the first employee there. But this, you know, the long story short there is I learned a valuable lesson for me, which was, you know, I'm going to earn my living in private aviation because in that <laughs> business, when you had a bad day, when you, ha- you had a bad day. In this business, when you have a bad day, I, it's still aviation and there's something in your heart and soul that says it's worth it because I love aviation. And I think anybody that's devoted themselves to this industry knows what I'm talking so, about. So what was the idea behind Tivoli? What, what, was, what did Tivoli yeah. set out to accomplish? Well, you know, the journey is still ongoing, but the, the, the vision there was this industry is not connected the way, the, in, in the best way. And there's too many failures, you know, in service one way or another that could be improved with technology. And at the very core, you know, at the bottom, sort of the, 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 the base level, you know, I looked at it and said, payments have to be a part of this because the thing that really everybody has a story about is how they didn't get paid, right? And I was like, and I looked at that and said, well, if we're going to help do better things with connecting companies and data and everything else, the first thing I want to make sure that we've figured out is how to make sure that people get paid, right? And so that was, that's, you know, not an easy thing to do. It's an ongoing journey. We now have over 200 companies that have accounts on our platform. Um, they're doing more together you know, as things sort of evolve, but we're really, I think, early days in sort of in realizing that vision. Ultimately, you know, if we can um, uh, give people the confidence, right, that between the buyer and the seller, 
you know, they're always going to get paid and we can help streamline the, the, the process of, of moving money, which we can. I mean, we, you know, we looked at that and looked at lots of different ways to wire this up and ultimately said, if we can't deliver a 24-7, 365 set of, you know, 20, uh, set of payment rails um, that can move money at any size, right? Which you would think that wouldn't be that hard, but like the, the, the whole payments world is going, is focused on like the $2 transaction. They don't understand our business. They don't understand our business. They are- So we've actually run into that on our side, on the FBO side of things. We have, F obviously there's a lot of FBO still out there that have a charter department and trying to run the charter payments within the FBO payments ends up making your FBO payments cost exponentially more Right, because of the cost of charter and the and the and the risk involved. So moving an FBO yep. from that to Tivoli on the payment side would actually make their FBO payments less expensive. Right. Well, and that's. I mean, we wound up getting into credit card merchant processing because in talks with operators, where he said, you know, we've got this FBO. We've essentially white labeled a bank. That's how we can move money. Is if you're on our bank, then we can move money from you know the account that belongs to your company to an account that belongs to another. And one of the things that I think was important there is, you know, we could have done all that and just move money within a, you know, a one common fund or account, but the stakes are too high, right? I, I wanted to make sure that people knew your money is honest to goodness in an FDIC insured proper bank account, right? And we have our own ledger on top of that that would allow us to put money sort of anywhere virtually because of there are different sort of sets of payment rails. We now are, we're an ecosystem with multiple ways to move Using things. that white label bank relationship. Well, right. But, but at the foundation, we sort of said, hey, on top of all the ledger we have, we've, we can also fall back on core banking ledgers that exist within the banking platform. So there's never a question of, you know, is your money where it's supposed to be, right? And, and it also provides the scrutiny that we need to have when we're, you know, we have to do proper know your customer to pass muster there. We have to, you know, pass muster with the bank in terms of all the, the, you know, the code reviews and things like that, right? To make sure that everything is really bulletproof. Um, that's but, also ensuring that your brokers too are a higher quality, right? We, yes. I mean, the, the, the short answer there is we have people that have, that have wanted to get accounts on the platform. And when we, when we do the know your customer stuff, we find out that there's financial fraud in their background. And we just, it's not, it, it's like a binary black and white thing. We can't approve anybody and have the platform that we have the bank wouldn't approve it. The government wouldn't approve it. So when we do that KYC due diligence stuff, you know, it makes it an easy decision. It's not a judgment call by me as to whether or not we could let somebody on. It's a hard and fast rule. Cut and dry, yep. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things that I look at because, I mean, I, I almost challenge, you know, you've only been in this business for a week maybe if you don't know somebody that hasn't been burned one way or another from someone, right? On the payment side, yep. On the payment side. And it's unfortunate, but the barriers to entry in this space, you know, on the sales side, on the broker side are really low, right? And so, I mean, if you, if you can pop up a Wix website and you got a cell phone, you can present yourself as a, as a charter broker in it. And, you know, I'm not sure that necessarily should change because I'm not a big fan of regulation, but as an industry, we need to have ways to know- Self-police. To protect ourselves, right? And you know, and I've been on committees with MBAA and helped write things like charter broker best practices because I don't think charter brokering is bad or wrong. Obviously, I created a charter broker, but I was competing with guys that, you know, that I didn't believe should be in the space, right? If you've, you know, if you've defrauded people, right? Like th there should be some way that there's a, you know, that you can keep those guys out of the market. 
And that's and that is a huge part of the ultimate vision for Tivoli is if as a retail consumer or a charter operator or a broker, you look at Tivoli and say, you know, my you know, transaction is safe and the service I'm gonna get is gonna meet a baseline, right? Because of the tools and the rails and everything that we put together. Right? Adding confidence and transparency to a process that often lacks it. Yes, that's right. And there's, you know, in order to be on Tivoli, you have to pass checks that don't exist anywhere else in this industry, right? I mean, uh, so if you're a charter, you know, if you're a charter operator, a new broker comes along, how do you know if they're, what their background is? Yep. Oftentimes you don't have time to really do the kind of due diligence that we do. We, I mean, they're going to have to submit, you know, social security numbers on the principles and their, you know, their articles of incorporation. We're going to know whether they've ever been sued and what's gone on and things like that as a gating item to just being on the platform. So, you know, what we want to be able to do is give operators a confidence that if you're working with a broker, they've been through that, you know, and on top of that, if they're paying you on Tivoli, that's cash. It's not like a credit card hold, it's cash that's moving instantly in real time. So we're about out of time. Yeah. Um, I think lastly, we'll just cover what's Tivoli gonna do next? What, what, how, what's the next step to make that broker operator process more seamless, easier for the brokers, easier for the operators? Can we make it easier for the owners? What, what's your guys' plan for the, what's your next releases, where are you headed? Well, I mean, there's a few things there. So we, we kind of, we look at ourselves uh, on this front in, in two veins. So we've got tools that help improve the quality of service and then tools to facilitate payment. And I think they go hand in hand. And so the tools that really help service is, we brand those FlyEasy. We acquired FlyEasy a couple years ago. Mm -hmm. Fantastic move, great guys. And so on that front, we have um, the sales tools product that started out as being sale, you know, a, a group of tools for, uh, for brokers because um, we just saw opportunity there. It's really taking all the learning that I had with One Sky Jets and how the process needed to work and how we could instill quality and now making that a product that brokers you know, universally can have access to. And then we amped it up with digital contracts and the, and the payment processing and all the stuff that goes along with that. Um, that tool set is finding its way into the broker side of the world. I'm sorry, not the broker. I said that wrong. It's finding its way sure. to the operator side of the world. When I show an operator what we've built there for sales pipeline management and all, and all the tools and bells and whistles are very great. If, you can, if we can leverage that on top of our, our scheduling software, that would be amazing. Especially for what you call like the brokerators. That's right. <laughs> right. They, you're, you're, you're spot on. The, the first customers for that are people that have a separate brokerage arm and a and a wholesale arm, but they, they kind of want it all to come together. So we're working with some of them and, and that's coming down the pike. We want to we improve quality by helping them all track that, that information, right? Um, in a meaningful way. You know, one of the things that I'll tell you that, that made me proud when we were at One Skies, we never, ever, ever lost a dispute to American Express. I mean, think about that. Cause everybody out there is, oh, American Express is horrible. They always side with the customer. Oh, uh, they, you want to know why? Because most of the time, the, the company that has the issue doesn't have the data to back up what actually happened. Well, in our thing, all we would have to do is print off that little you know, running tally, our, our FedEx tracking of every flight. And we had customer called up and said this, we did this, this happened, this happened, right? And, and we could just give them that running dialogue of everything that happened. And part of it was if we screwed up, we owned it, right? We weren't gonna not own it, but if we didn't screw up and the customer you know, wasn't being reasonable, well, we had 
this really- The data to back it up. We had the data to back it up and we would send that off to American Express and that was usually the end of it. That's awesome. So, right. so you guys are booth- 4846. 4846, so if you, if you get this while you're still at the show, 4846. If not, we'll include some information in the in when you subscribe to the podcast. Thanks a lot for coming by. Hey, Appreciate Jim, it, my always friend. a pleasure. Always a pleasure.